pray for Adele, um, and we'll take it from there. Father, we thank you for Adele. We thank you for being with her in her preparation. We pray for us that you'd help us to be wise hearers, to be people who listen and respond rightly to your calling to us. So speak clearly through Adele, we ask. Amen. The line from the reading that has gone around my mind over some time now as I've prepared this is, therefore, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And I'm going to start this talk by talking about football. (laughs) It's a funny old world, isn't it? I now know what 1966... 1990 and 2018 have in common. In 1966, I wasn't born. In 1990, I was 21, and I graduated with a science degree that year. And today, I'm preaching to you here. It's the day after the day when England got into the World Cup semi-final for the third time in history. I now understand the significance of the song, It's Coming Home, which I believe Walder Slade sings, sang yesterday. (laughs) And surprisingly, I also know that Bobby Charlton didn't leave the match at Wimbledon. He was watching to check on football yesterday at all. How do I know that, you may ask? Football is not a passion of mine. And the events I've told you about have mostly nothing to do with me either. Yet football is dominating our life somewhat at the moment, isn't it? When I run round the lanes, I see many houses decked with the flags, with England. It fills a lot of conversations. And I wonder what you will all be doing on Wednesday evening. Anyway, back to our text. Our text focuses on a conversation that two opposing groups had with Jesus. It's a conversation that happened over 2,000 years ago in a context far removed from that which we find ourselves in today. And my task is to say something that makes this relevant for us now. It's a text which Martin alluded to has political and financial and religious connotations, subjects that at times we dare only to mention in polite company, and I've got all of them today to bring to you now. But I think actually the message is really simple, and it's simply to say that actually everything is all about God. Everything belongs to God. We have a God who is eternal. He commands time. Our lives, the world, the playing out of history is all in his hands. As we listened to this passage, we were aware that for a short time there was also somebody called Caesar who was important. But actually Caesar's long gone. He's dead now. The questioners came up to Jesus, actually because they wanted to trap him. 
they wanted him to get into trouble. We heard that the Pharisees and the Herodians asked Jesus whether it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. One of the commentaries I read told me that we know little about the Herodians today, and I believe them. It suggested that they were a secular political party that supported the right of Herod the Great's successors to rule Palestine and were hence pro-Roman. The Pharisees, on the other hand, the religious elite, quietly resented the Roman occupation. They accepted it as long as Rome did not interfere too much with their agenda the way they wanted to see religion in that part of the world. Both groups, however, opposed Jesus because the agendas that both of those groups had didn't include him. So they came together because they were motivated by their common opposition to Jesus. Oppositions that were both political and religious. You see, if Jesus argues against paying the tax to Caesar, they will be able to accuse him of being a revolutionary, of saying things that were anti-Roman. If, on the other hand, he supports the tax, he will lose that popular support from the population he has, Remember how a few weeks ago we remembered him riding into Jerusalem on that donkey. And then also think about who owns this land in the first place. Think about God, Yahweh, who gave the land to Israel. Leviticus 25:23: the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine, said God. So Caesar has occupied this land, which is God's. So is it an act of disobedience to pay the tax to this pagan ruler? Question. The conversation that I read got me thinking about what motivates us, what motivates world rulers today. Do we always act with perfect integrity? Many rulers, many people, perhaps us, desire power because also it's the desire for power that I think is behind the motivations that we're thinking about just now. The desire for power and influence, that desire that hopes it's our agenda that wins the day. I read yesterday in the news again some things about the war in Syria. It's something I pray for reasonably regularly. Can you remember how it all started? There was an uprising some seven years ago against the president, which has now turned into a full-scale civil war. I read yesterday that there are estimates of over 400,000 dead. And that over half of the population, that some 11 million people, have been displaced. I also read about how many groups 
are acting with their own agenda, which is making the situation even more complex. And I think that even countries are doing that. Some countries, the internet told me, are fighting, supporting the president, and other countries are not. But the result is war, and a war that doesn't seem to end. Perhaps that's showing us how life is or can be when agendas are followed that are not good, when agendas for power are in place, when we forget about our common humanity and the fact that life matters. The Herodians and the Pharisees were no doubt motivated by maintaining their sphere of power. And I've tried to say that I think our human nature often desires that too. It's part of our sinful nature, I think, that desire for power and status. And don't we like to think that we are in charge? That we can actually have our own way? Because that's what matters after all as long as we are the ones that are comfortable and we can obtain the things that we'd like to have. The Herodians and the Pharisees wanted their own sphere of power, wanted their own way, and so they wanted to get rid of Jesus. He was a thorn in their side. Jesus, however understood their motivations, he could see into their hearts, knew what they were about. And his answer is really clever, isn't it? He asked them for a Roman coin. He says, show me a coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. The tax that was referred to could only be paid in Roman currency. Surprisingly, it was a coin that was not really allowed to be present in the temple, let alone in the hands of a Pharisee. But anyway, a coin was produced, and the image of Caesar was seen to be on the coin. So remember the law, the Jewish law, Exodus 24, prohibits graven images of any kind, but in the temple precincts, in the most holy place, in the most holy land, a coin with the image of the emperor is produced by the religious Jesus' response is, well, whose likeness is it? They say Caesar's. Then he says, well, give to Caesar what is his. If Caesar is on the coin, surely the coin must belong to him. Symbols on a coin, again, are signs that demand recognition. Things that try to say, I am important. The coin says Caesar is important. What can it mean for the religious to acknowledge that there is something in the world that belongs to Caesar rather than to God. Playing on image a little bit more, it's also a reminder to me about image bearing. Think about the passages you may know from Genesis, that we, man and woman, were created in the image of God. Humanity bears the image of God. 
you and me, we are all bearers of the image of God within our humanity. It's been funny wrestling with this passage that's so old, because Caesar's rule was finite. He's not part of our culture today. Rome no longer occupies the land that is under dispute when this conversation happened. The motivations that the Pharisees and the Herodians had have disappeared too. But that power struggle continues today. And actually, it's the words that follow that are key to us. For Jesus continues and give to God the things that are God's. So Jesus is challenging their motivations, and today he is challenging ours too. Because if God reigns, if God reigned back then, Caesar didn't. If God reigns in our world today, if he reigns, well, who does not I'm not trying to say that we don't live a lawful life in the UK, in the place we are. I'm not saying that at all. I think that we have to live under the law of this land as it is, to pay our taxes, obey the laws, live in right relationship with one another, which is in many cases why the laws exist. And as we do that, we are honouring our God. But also there may be times when we need to be that prophetic voice or person that speaks up in a different way, that can speak into the prevailing culture and say, actually, some things are not quite right. Are we really honouring God in how we are living and in what we are doing? For we need to remember that if God reigns, that there is nothing in our life in the world that is outside his sphere or his realm. There's no part of life where we do not owe him our loyalty. We can't compartmentalise our life or we can't put that bit of our life in a box and leave it just for Sunday. Shortly after the events of our Bible reading today, Jesus was handed over, he handed over his life for us. He was crucified. Jesus gave God ultimately what was God's, which was his entire life. What is it, friends, that the Holy Spirit, that God is asking you, me, to give him today? Perhaps there is something that we are holding back or have put in a box. If we believe everything is from God, we are, after all, only giving God back what is his in the first place. 1 Chronicles 14, again, I think Martin referred to this last week, for all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. So perhaps we can start by thinking about what motivates us. 
What is it that occupies our minds, our hopes, our dreams? What is it that's driving us? Are we being motivated by the things of God? Is it his will we long to fulfill? Or is it still far more about our will, what we want? If you know yourself to be a child of God, that has consequences, and they are daily consequences, which, believe it or not, are consequences that impact every day and every moment of our life. For if we know we are God's and we live in a world created by him, I think we are called to offer God the things that are his, just like Jesus offered his life. I think we are called to offer our lives too. It becomes no longer about what we have or what we have worked hard for or what we want. The language changes the language instead becomes far more about gift, all about what God has done for us and all about what he continues to do for us, the way he blesses us with gifts, the way we are gifted and can be gift givers too. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I've now got a rather short list of things that came to mind about things that we can offer. It's not meant to be exhaustive. I went to the consecration earlier in the week of Simon Burton-Jones, now the Bishop of Tunbridge, He's taken yet another step, accepted a gift from God for a life of service to God and the church and the diocese. Perhaps we are called to think more about how we spend our time so that how we choose our time, our priorities, become more aligned to God's priorities I do know, as I continue to be curate here, that not everything is mine to do. But occasionally I am very conscious of the tasks that are for me. And it's those times when my call seems to be in great clarity and I understand why I'm here. We may be hearing a call about how we use our money That's a biggie. I worked for a faith mission for eight years before coming here, and I have wonderful stories about people who put their trust for all things in life in God, and in particular, money. I've been in prayer meetings where we've prayed for millions of pounds, not just a few. I've seen missionaries being gifted houses and cars, medical flights, supplies, visas, legacies. And I wanted to share with you a quote from James Hudson Taylor, who responded to God's call and established OMF in the 1800s. Depend on it, because God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. 
He is too wise a God to frustrate his purpose for lack of funds. And he can just as easily supply them ahead of time as afterwards. And he much prefers doing so. It makes me always question about whether I, we, are doing what God wants us to do. Because if we are following how God wants us to be, then we will not lack for anything, is what I believe. So perhaps we're not listening, perhaps some things need to change. Back to my list. We may need to relinquish a relationship to him. Perhaps something is unhealthy, or perhaps there's a controlling element. So perhaps we're not free to be fully God's. Or perhaps for you, it may be that offer of service or help. Perhaps there's something that you know that you could do, that you could help with, but haven't quite found the courage or perhaps the time to offer yet. And then for some, there'll be that call to speak out with that voice of justice, with that prophetic voice today, speaking, exposing wrong motives, inappropriate actions. Today, it's so important to have people who speak out against the hatred of the foreigner we so often see in our country, or to speak out against those who are poor and forgotten. We are called to speak into a world that has some different priorities to the ones that God in his kingdom has. There are others, the list isn't exhausted. I could go on and I hope you might have thought of other things to add. But I do believe all these things point to a God who converses with us and struggles with us as we enter gently into accepting his reign more fully in our lives and align our internal motivation to be more like him, to join in with the things of God, to use all the gifts we have been given wisely in his work, the gifts of our lives, our time and our resources, and to develop a trust and a delight in the ways of God because we're talking the language of gift and invitation. And that I think he longs to recognise, for us to recognise, that he is present with us in all of this too. So our challenge today is to give God all the things that are God's in the first place, for his glory and for the building of his kingdom So, will you give God the things that are God's? Or are you still in the place today of trying to give Caesar the things that are his?